People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Fine Music Radio and Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. This weekend, a play opened at Peter Turin's Theatre on the Bay called Fordsburg's Finest and written by and stars Paul Slabelepsi as well as Chi Mende. It's been directed by Bobby Heaney. Now, Paul Slabelepsi is my guest today, a well-known award-winning South African playwright who holds the ability to reflect an authentic South African landscape with its turbulent political background, vibrant cultures and inhabitants, and to invoke empathy for all of his diverse characters. His plays exploit the unease and uncertainty of lower-middle-class white South Africans. So, Paul, it's a great pleasure to welcome you to Fine Music Radio and to People of Note. Welcome. Thank you, Rodney. It's lovely to be here. It's nice to be here because you live in Johannesburg, don't you? Yes, yes, I do. I do. Yes. And so when you come to Cape Town, I hope you enjoy being down here and getting good audiences and having a blast. I do. I love coming back to Cape Town. Of course, I was at UCT and then, of course, founded the space with Bill Flynn, Ethel Fugard, Yvonne Bryceland. Yes, those so names. That, oh, yeah, John yeah. Carney. That's John Carney, yeah. So these, this very, very, very special place, Cape Town. The space, me. by the way, it's interesting that you said you founded it because it was quite innovative, wasn't it? It was the first place to allow mixed audiences. Yes, it was. It's, uh, it was the very first theatre in South Africa. And, Even uh, ahead of the Market Theatre. Oh, yes. Oh, Ma- was it? Market was- started uh, in '76. Space was 72. We, oh, we, so it we, was we, ahead. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it was the very first and very exciting times. With mm. big names like that as yes, well. Yes. And did you get into lots of trouble or was it a difficult ride? Oh, yes, it was. I mean, we used to have the security police every night. In fact, Billy Flynn and I used to, we'd, we'd come off stage and say, third row, yeah, fourth from the end, security policemen. <laughs> we could see that we could pick them out in the audience. Oh, they were actually in the audience. Oh, yes, they'd come and watch and see what was going on. And okay. We also had to stay one step ahead of the law. In fact, Brian Asbury uh, had a club. You pay one cent to join the club, which meant it was a club. So that yes. means anyone can come to the club. <laughs> yes. So there were all sorts of the subversive and that's, that's how I used to do the theatre in those days. But what good memories. Were you born in Cape Town? No, no, no you came from overseas. I was you? born in Bolton in Lancashire. Oh, okay. My father was a Spitfire pilot in the uh, Royal Air Force. He was a Polish fighter pilot. Is there Polish in your name? Is your name Polish? Yes, yes. Yes, okay. it is. My dad was, yeah. And that's where we met my mother in, at Blackpool. And they got married. I was born in uh, Bolton. And we came to South Africa uh, when I was, uh, what, uh, two years old. Okay. So we can call you um, a good old South African, also because of the plays you've written. There are so many. I'm trying to think, which is that very famous one, Saturday Night Night at the, the Palace? Palace, yes. Yeah, that was a big hit for it's you, It's still a it? set work. And is it? Really? Wrote, yes, in ni- 1982 <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that. And, uh, yeah, it's still a set work. But there are, um, well, there's 38 plays since then. So. Have you done 38 plays? Yeah, and they've all been produced. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, so I've had a wonderful, exciting ride. It has mm. been, goodness. And, you know, it's interesting, and not all lower-class characters. In fact, I'm doing uh, Planet Perth again. It hasn't been to Cape Town. We're going to bring it next year about uh, people who used to be called the chicken run in the old days. Yes. But people yes, yes. immigrating to Australia 
Packing for Perth, as we used to say. Packing for Perth. This is called Planet Perth. Planet Perth. And it was Fiona Ramsey, Sean Taylor, and Mike Richard many years ago. And now I've rewritten the play for now because there's another flight. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's quite interesting. And these are people who live in in, uh, Santon in Johannesburg and very... (laughs) (laughs) But this thing, as I quoted here... Uh, you are able to exploit the unease and uncertainty of lower middle class white South Africans. Yes. That's very much been part of your strength, for yes. want of a better word. Yes, it has. I mean, Planet Perth is very different, as was Pale Natives. But, um, oh, Pale Natives, of course, that's right. That was also was, yours. Yes, yes. And also I've written a few screenplays lately, uh, last few years. Oh, have you? Actually, at the moment, I'm on Showmax doing Mr. Johnson. I've been nominated Best Actor for the SAFTA Awards. Oh, in, in a show makes in, in uh, a film, film, yeah, oh, best okay. feature film, best actor in a feature film. So that'll be on, I think, in a month's time or, or 2nd of September, they're giving out the awards. Oh, well, we'll hold thumbs for you, Yeah, Paul. thank you. <laughs> but you've been on television as well, haven't you, here in this country? Yes, yes, a, a lot, lot with, with Billy Flynn for many years and... Um, Oh, I've done so much on, on television and film, and, uh, but, but it's mainly the stage. Mm-hmm. I mean... Is that what you prefer, the stage, to anything else? Absolutely. We, yeah. we, we rode that huge crest of a wave at the World Cup final in um, oh, yes. uh, Rugby World Cup in 1995, yeah. Heel Against the Head. We did that for three years Wow! and then made a film of, of it afterwards. Yeah. So that was very You've spoken about Bill Flynn a few times, and you were great friends, weren't you? And he died tragically young, really, Yes. in the great scheme of things. Yes, we're, for 40 years. We met at drama school, UCT, and for 40 years we were best buddies. And yeah, he died aged 58. Mm-hmm. It's almost 15 years now. Or Is it that long? It's long really? ago, yeah. yeah. And somehow your characters seem to complement each other so well when you were on stage together. Yes, yes. I mean, I, you know, I've known Bill. and I, I knew Bill so well. I, could, I felt I could write for him mm-hmm. and always had this double act, as it were, you know. And I'd always be the bad guy. Yes, that's right. The, you're always the bad guy. He'd be the teddy bear that everyone loved. <laughs> yes, that's <you> know? right. <laughs> Gosh, a great loss to South Africa. Oh, ter- terrible loss. Now, uh, Paul, your first piece of music is interesting because you've chosen something sung by your wife, Carol Slablepsy, Stand By Me. Just... Tell me a little bit about the song. Well, look, well, it's very interesting. I mean, I met Carol. I mean, I heard Carol before I ever saw her. Uh, it was at Ron France's house, uh, Ron France in the old days. Um, I was staying with them, and uh, it was a, a New Year, New Year's Eve. Anyway, I came into the house, and um, there was a party going on in the kitchen, and I heard someone singing, and I thought, gosh, if this person is half as gorgeous as her voice... I am lost. And sure enough, went into the kitchen. So, and it was Carol singing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she, she, I mean, she's always been a wonderful, wonderful singer. She still sings in choirs and things um, uh, in Johannesburg. And um, when I did my latest play, Borderline, at the Market Theatre, which we did a couple of months back, um, I needed um, um, a, a version of Stand By Me. To the, end famous, the famous Stand, the famous stand By Me, stand by me yeah. to, to end it. And my son-in-law now, strangely enough, he's a, a classical pianist. He's also a jazz, plays jazz piano. And I said, would you make an arrangement of this? And I said, and Carol will sing it. And uh, that's what happened. And I made a recording, and so many people after the play, you know, would say, who is singing this song? 
and got a great compliment from PJ Powers saying that. Oh, really? Yeah, she <laughs> said it was one of the best versions she'd heard. So, of course, now it's become one of my favorite of course, songs. Of course. <laughs> well, let's listen. Now, this is Carol Slavilepsy, Stand By Me. When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon is the only light we see No, I won't be afraid, no I won't be afraid Just as long as you stand Stand by me so darling, darling, stand by me Oh, stand by me Stand by me Stand by me Stand by me, stand by me. If the sky that we look upon Should tumble and fall should crumble to the sea I won't cry I won't cry I won't shed a tear just as long as you stand stand by me so darling darling stand by me Stand by 
famous song and indeed Paul your wife Carol Slabalepsi singing on that recording which apparently you used in your production of Borderline so <laughs> well done but now is she does she not sing solo anymore you said she sings in choirs and stuff but yes not, she's not a, a career singer so no 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 I mean she was a ballet dancer I mean she d danced for K-Pab that's oh, when I met her okay. you know and um, but but she always took a guitar along on tours and all mm -hmm. the ballet you go off on the bus and you just hear with her guitar. So she's always... What was her maiden name as a Carol ballet? Longfield. Carol Longfield. Okay, yes. all right. Yeah. I'm talking to Paul Slabalipsy, the actor, whose play, Fordsburg's Finest, has just opened at Peter Turin's Theatre on the Bay. And I'm intrigued. Now, let me just read it, and then you need to just help me with this. Yes. It says here, in his uplifting play, Fordsburg's Finest, Paul depicts an empowered and impassioned woman as the focus of his tale while taking the audience on a nostalgic journey of recognition, sensitivity and insight relating to this woman, Tandi, played by Chi Mende, from an American exile to South Africa. And you go on to say that you're living in a rundown used car salesman and just tell me a bit about this play and how you, what inspired you to write it, Paul. Well, you know, working at the Market Theatre over the years, I, um, you know, you go through, often you can go the back way through Fordsburg, and I've always been fascinated the way the landscape changes. And uh, Fordsburg was very different when the market, I was there at the beginning, the opening of the market in 76. And um, um, the, the, it's always interested me. And, and um, also, I found an old map of what uh, it looked like in the 50s. And a lot of houses being torn down. It's very mm -hmm. similar to District 6 in Cape Town, where people were uprooted and sent off. Um, uh, I think they're called Fitas as well. It's another oh, okay. name for Fordsburg. Okay. And um, it has a remarkable history. And plays come to me from all different directions. And suddenly... The muse yeah, arrives. Yeah, arrives. And one story collides with another. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what happened to this one. I imagined... Someone born there and being uprooted and leaving. And I, I thought of the story of, of a black musician who lived in uh, Forsberg and leaving South Africa and going to America uh, with his wife and a 10-month-old daughter. And what would happen if a daughter came back to look for the house she was born? Because the parents have died. So I... And I'd also, I'd be, I was working in America at the time. In fact, I was doing my Moist Street moves in Washington. Oh, gosh. And, uh, and uh, uh, it was an American company doing it. I was directing it. So I spent, I spent some time with African-Americans in, in, in Washington. And, and I think that's where the two ideas came together. I thought, how about an African-American woman going back to the place she was born but having no connection whatsoever with it? Mm -hmm. And then wondering why she had to leave, why, why the family had to leave, why all this. And she knows a bit about the history. She's a librarian, this character. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, to come back, what would be the strangest thing for her to find 
uh, what would she find uh, in place of where their house was? I thought, how about a, a real old South African thing, a used car salesman? <laughs> yes. And you know, what's interesting about the play is that you don't find these Foxy Freddies anymore. Mm-hmm. It's Foxy Freddy Falskank who I play in them. They've gone now. They call them previously owned. They don't call them used cars anymore. And also they're run by big dealerships. Uh, they're very different. And also you get them online. So you mm-hmm. find an old car online. Now. So the whole thing of a used car salesman is, has moved away. It's like the cigarette salesman as well. Yes. <laughs> so in a sense, there's some nostalgia there, you mm-hmm. know. But also, anyway, she comes back and she finds this, instead of her house, she finds this garish used car lot and this old lonely man who runs it who's lost his wife he's lost his son well you hear all about that in the play so i don't want to give too much away but it's a meeting of two lost souls really because she's been brought up by an african-american family in 123 west street in, in new york harlem area oh, yes. and um so she's very sophisticated and she comes and meets this old foxy freddy who runs this thing and we track their histories really. She is sort of angry. She's she's trying to trying to, to retrace the part, going back to her roots basically. Mm-hmm. And also it was a time I wrote this play at a time when there were a lot of African Americans returning to Africa or South Africa particularly yeah. to so sort of roots thing, yes. yes. Roots, yeah, yeah. Discover Africa. That was yeah. also a very big thing at the time. Mm-hmm. So um <clears throat> so that was interesting for me. But Freddie Fox, what, what's his Freddy, name? Foxy Freddie Forskink. Yes. Forskink. Yes, Forskink. I see. What, uh, what, but what was his background? Did they then get together? Or uh, again, we mustn't give too yes, much away. No, too away. No, no, she just finds him there running this place and mm-hmm. he's on his own, runs solo. Where her house was? Yes, where her house was. So there's a whole journey around that. Yeah. Oh. And then, and, and do, well, you see how they come together. It's a very, you'd think it's a very odd mix. How is this possible? But, of course, when two souls come together in this environment, it's like being on a desert island, really. Yeah. It's, just, it's after closing time. So I go from late afternoon into evening. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's, she's been in South Africa for three weeks. And has, it's only now that she comes to the place. She, she didn't know when she should come. What would she find? Would she find anything? This huge expectation yeah. is built up. Yeah. What is she going to find? And then is it going to give her any answers hmm. as to what happened to her parents? And, of course, he's able to give some of the history. And so there's a clash, of course, because he's a white man who hmm. offers her tea and coffee and oh, I mean, so coffee and cookies and, yes. you know, and all <laughs> yeah, that sort of stuff. So, yeah, yeah. so it's, a, it's um, 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 an unlikely meeting. Yeah. Two, two different characters. Yeah. It was a three-hander originally. I wrote the brother Rocco. Uh, was in the original play that I do with Marius Vayers and Dorcas M. Johnson, who came from New York. Laura Foote and I, in fact, auditioned in New York when I had a play on at the Lincoln Center. Mm. And Laura directed the first production at the Market Theatre. It was a time, very short season. And I always thought it had wonderful reviews from R- Rayford Daniel, uh, Michael Venables, uh, Barry Hoch, and... Uh, they, you know, Rayford said it was my best play ever, and um, but it's been lying asleep in your bottom drawer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I took the character of Rocco out. In fact, we did a play reading for a, a, a drama circle in New York during COVID, and that convinced me 
to to tweak the play, work on it again, and bring it back because the response was overwhelming. It was oh, really gosh. amazing. Yeah. Because Fordsburg is um, well, it's a, a lower middle class suburb, isn't it? Yes. But it also had white people there, if I remember correctly. Yes, poor whites actually, yes. alongside yes. people of color. Yes, yes, that's living right. actually it, quite happily together. Yeah, as with District and Six till, and Triumph, Sophia Town. Yeah, so until far. the government came. I was also in the fifties, I think, mm. and, and moved <clears> everyone out. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, you mentioned PJ Powers earlier, Paul, talking about your, your wife, Stand By Me. But now you've chosen her as well, the world in union. Why have you chosen her and this? Well, um, I have this there again is a, a sort of memory of, a, of a Bill, uh, Bill Flynn. Um, we did um, our play Heel Against the Head that, according to Mornay Duplessis, helped, went a long way in helping, nudging the box to win the World Cup in 95. <laughs> Because they came to see a performance two nights before they played France. And uh, that was the song of the time. PJ Powers singing World in Union, the World Cup rugby song.
song. That is Paul said for the World Cup, the World in Union with PJ Powers there. And my guest on People of Note here on Fine Music Radio this week is Paul Slabolipsi, whose classic play, Fordsburg's Finest, has just opened at Peter Turin's Theatre on the Bay. And you've told us a lot about um, the play itself, but I just want to find out a little bit about you. I mean, it was interesting that I do remember you as always playing the ruffians in your various plays. And as you said, poor old Bill being the the teddy, the soft teddy boy. But you said you were born in Bolton in England and came out here when you were very young. And the other thing that um, interests me here is that your initial intention was to become a radio sports commentator. <laughs> Why did you want to do that? I mean, I know it must be a wonderfully exciting job. Well, <clears throat> no, I, I I was at a Catholic boarding school in Petersburg, now Polokwane, and um, uh, I, I I was... <laughs> I think I've got ADHD or whatever you call it. I was uh, running around like a mad thing all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, my marks were always great at school, but I was always looking out of the window, waiting to get outside to go and kick a ball about. You know? Oh, really? To actually play sport yes, as well? Yes, oh, and I played a lot of sport. I mean, oh. oh, I swam, I ran, I was won Victor Ludorum in swimming, athletics, year after year, at a, um, <laughs> captain of soccer and cricket and yeah I was just mad about sport and, mm-hmm. and that's how I found my uh, I was quite a shy kid but but um, sport gave me great joy and you know there again that's why I, I could theater was a way for me I mean I was telling stories I've got a little Modafontaine dynamite factory nursery school report uh, age three and a half it says Paul uh, stands on a Coca-Cola box and loves telling stories. He entertained the whole nursery school. I was doing that at age three. Good grief. So this was my head did. Yeah, yeah. Now, yes. my dad wanted me to become a, an engineer. He was an engineer. And he said, you will. Science, maths, engineering, that's the thing. Kind of those are the days when you did what your father told you. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, But I went to, to UCT and thinking... I desperately wanted to to um, to do broadcasting, um, not broadcasting as such, but commentating. Yes. I mean, I used to sit at the side of the games at school, the games I weren't wasn't playing, and I'd have one of those old-fashioned tape recorders, and click, and I'd uh, and so and so gets a ball and thing, and down he oh across, and <clears throat> so I'd commentate. <laughs> yeah. And all the boys would gather around. Oh, I mean, never listen. mind the recording; they'd li- they'd listen to me recording, yes, yes. <laughs> watch me recording. <laughs> Meanwhile, nothing was happening on the ground. No, no, no. A game was in oh, progress. Oh, oh, so you oh, were commentating oh, on oh, that game? Yes, I'd commentate oh. all the other games. That, oh, please <clears> commentate <throat> our game. We want the take. <laughs> so I'd, I'd do all that. And um, so um, then so I, I, I said to my dad when I went to UCT, you know, those are the days you could go to UCT. You, you could pull up past your exams and then choose when you got there what you wanted to do. It's mm, not like that not anymore. Not like that today. No, no. Um, and um, I, uh, I said, let me do a BA first. He said, oh, okay, as long as you then go on and do your B-com or B- whatever, Clever, or, clever, or, or clever. Or engineering or whatever, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, I, I, uh, I, I, there was this degree called BA Broadcasting at that time at UCT, and you had to go to Seapoint Studios, do McCormack, and do all that sort of stuff. And what happened during the course of all that is I went to the little theater for the first time because they had a studio up on the ca- hitting campus, and I saw these people, and I saw a Robert Moore production of Kabuki, and it just blew me away. Peter Dirk Ace was in that play, playing a geisha girl. <laughs> and I said, this is me. This is my world. And I just 
straight in and the no looking back. And that was way back in 1968. So nothing came of the broadcasting degree. No, no, no. I, I got my BA eventually, mm-hmm. but and, and moved away from. Broadcasting. But but yeah, I moved away from broadcasting because I that was I was looking for something. Yes. You know that, yes. and broadcasting would have given me that. Being a sports broadcaster, I think I would have had fun and enjoyed it. And in fact, you know, many many years later, when the world I used to work for uh, Ali Bacher at the Wanderers Stadium in Johannesburg. At the cricket matches for the World Cup, that we had the World Cup here, I'd sit and do the public address, telling the people, uh, here we have the West Indies coming out, and so-and-so bowling from the, from the north side. And the call at drive end is Alan Donald. So, but not commentating, mm-hmm. but with the 30,000 in the ground, yes. telling oh. them who was bowling, change of bowling, what was going on. So, in a sense, I came back to that many years later, and uh, it was great traveling around the World Cup. When we had of course, it, it, uh, I had my own vehicle. Went to East London, PE. Arrived at the ground, had all my stuff. Sat at the microphone and uh, <laughs> and telling the audience to watch the bees in their in their cool drink cans, you know, <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> all that sort of stuff. You know? <laughs> now look, let's have another track of music. Brian Ferry, you've got here, Paul. Mm. Smoke gets in your eyes. Famous old song, yes. given the Brian Frey treatment, I presume. I haven't heard this recording. Oh, yes. It's lovely. This is one of my favorite recording of this song. And, in fact, I use this in uh, Planet Perth. It's one of my, you know, I love to choose the tracks I use in my music. You'll see in Forsberg as well. Mm. I've, cho- I've chosen a lovely track. And um, Brian Ferry has always been one of my favorites. And no, no one sings this song like he does. <laughs> They ask me how I knew My true love was true oh, I of course reply Something here inside Cannot be denied Oh no Said someday you'll find all who love are blind. Ooh, ooh. When your heart's on fire, you must be alive. Smoke gets in your eyes. So by chance, then.
Classic Smoke Gets in Your Eyes with Brian Ferry. And it was the choice. Paul Slablepsy is my guest on People of Note this week. And as I've been telling you, his play, Fordsburg's Finest, has just opened this weekend at Peter Turin's Theatre on the Bay. It runs until the 10th of September. You mentioned earlier about directing, and I kind of don't think of you as a director, but you have directed a fair amount, haven't you? A few of my own plays, yes. Um, I've done that sometimes when I've wanted to. to, to. Uh, it's nice to be at the helm. I think Athol's done this a few times, Athol Fugard, the first time he puts his play on, um, a new play, because you're able to doctor it mm. in rehearsal. And look and at it as a whole yeah. from the audience. Yeah, and then, and then um, I, I don't, ideally I don't like doing that, but, but I have done on occasion. Look, I've I had to make my own work over the years, freelance. I mean, mm. Billy and I. I mean, I wrote plays for Billy and I remember Heel Against the Head, Running, Riot, Pale Natives. These are plays I wrote. Especially for Bill Flynn. Well, Bill and other mates as well. Right, uh, right. Ron right. Schmitzak, uh, Danny Keogh, uh, Kate Edwards, who's now gone overseas. Um, yeah. Hmm. Because your director of this play is Bobby Heaney, who's another, mm. shall we say, stalwart, a, a veteran of uh, directing and acting when he was younger. Yes, yes, and he was at UCT, of course. We weren't there together. He was mm-hmm. a good few years after me. But, um, yeah, we were both from the UCT Little Theatre Drama School, you know, UCT right. Drama School. Right. Yeah. But what do you do? I mean, you obviously know Bobby Heaney very well and probably have done for many years. So he comes along to direct your play, and I've often wondered about the dynamic of that. You know, mm-hmm. do you ever disagree with him? And he says, Paul, listen, I really don't think this is working. You should do that. Oh, yes. All the time. And then you disagree. <laughs> In fact, Bobby directed <clears throat> my first real big hit, Saturday Night at the Palace. Yeah, that was, uh, as we said earlier, yeah. a huge hit Huge, for you. huge, huge hit. Played the whole country and then toured internationally. Mm. And uh, Bobby was the director. And, you know, Bobby put his foot down in those days already and, and challenged me. You know, I need that kind of director. Yeah, says, how about yeah. this? And have you thought of that? And, and um, uh, yeah, so Bobby is my, I always call him my safety net and my parachute. <laughs> <laughs> Both. <laughs> Saturday Night at the Palace, was that the one in the Roadhouse one? <clears throat> yes, that's right. Rocco's Burger Palace. That's right. Yeah, yeah. With all the old style serving in your car. Yes, that's right. You said. In fact, the audience sat. They were like they were sitting in their cars as they sat in the theatre in the car park of the of the oh of the yes of the roadhouse. Yeah. Oh, that's a clever idea. Yeah, yeah, it was. Did you always want to kind of when you started writing plays? Did you always want to capture a local flavour like that? Something fundamentally South African. Yes, yes. I enjoy, well, I've done that as well in Boo to the Moon, another play. I thought I'd love a car on stage. So I had um, <laughs> four matrix or five matrix after a matric dance coming home uh, in South Coast somewhere. And uh, they turn the car over, they roll the car. Spiders driving the car, rolls the car. So we had this little old Fiat on stage, battered. And, and, um, and there's something about... <laughs> Um, having a vehicle on stage was really exciting. And Palace, I wanted a motorbike. 
and I wanted to start the bike on stage. Really wanted to rev the audience up. Mm. Look, it, it it was given to me by. I mean, I always wanted to write a play about the experiences I had had as a youngster, fifteen years old, playing at Iskor van der Bel, playing soccer under the smokestacks of Iskor, and then going to the roadhouse down the road and seeing these terrifying incidents that would take place. These racist incidents mm. where these ducktails, these guys would hoot. The cars, the waiters would bring the trays and they smash the trays in their face and tell them to pick it up. You know, terri- oh, yeah, yeah, terrible, yeah, terrible things that happened. Yeah. And I couldn't do anything age 15. It just mm. sat. And then I saw a little article on the front page of the Star. It said, Bizarre Attack on Roadhouse. Last night, two youths rode up on a motorbike, uh, accosted the waiter, stole the money and rode away. And that's all it said. It was 10 lines. And I said, There's my play. I've seen this. I know this. Oh, and in two oh, weeks, oh. I wrote this play. And I wanted to give the audience the experience of that I'd had as a young 15-year-old, could smell the chips being cooked in the back there, smell the sweat, smell the, and, um, and that's what it was like. It was completely visceral. Mm-hmm. I mean, the people were screaming. Oh, it was, it was just, it was so powerful. It was, yeah. and that's why we toured everywhere with yes. it. I'm sure I saw it at the market. Yes, could that have been? Yes, yes all yes. those years we ago. Had about three runs there. And <clears throat> went to Cape Town. We went to Durban. We went to. Pretoria, we went to Bloemfontein. We went. We had a huge thing in Bloemfontein where the rector of the university stood up screaming in the middle of the show, Lies! Lies! Oh, really? This really? does not happen in this country. Lies! Lies! Yeah? Stormed wow. out with 40 people. <laughs> and uh, the rest, because, of, because it was so powerful, the play, mm-hmm. the rest of the audience just... I remember it being extremely uncomfortable to watch. It yes. was not a pleasant experience. Well, I started, the well, you see, this is it. I started <laughs> off as a comedy. The guys were laughing at Billy and jokes. We'd been to a party and I was talking about how to chat up chicks and you blow smoke through your nose and <laughs> smoke comes out your nose and you do and then chat up the chicken. You know, so the whole, the first, uh, almost two thirds of the play was out and out mm. comedy and Billy did a whole dance with Fats DeBecco and hey show me how to do the minor you know and so <laughs> a lot of people had heard that it about the comedy yeah of yep, course yep. when the play turns around and becomes this racist incident and there's death and all that sort yeah. of stuff and beca- or, yeah. the audience just <sighs> and um, that's what gave it its power you know mm. I remember a security policeman after the play one night he was so stunned in the bar he was sitting and he had, was going off to report it to his bosses that this play must be banned. But by then, 20,000 people had seen it already yeah. around the country. And he was so shocked, uh, he couldn't even talk. And he said, and we said, what's wrong? Why are you so worried? He says, what happens if someone from overseas sees this play? What will they think of us? And we said, <laughs> they will think we are the polecats of the scum of the earth because this, this is what apartheid does. Yeah. And I like to believe that that man walked away that night with a different a different As a different man, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, Paul, let's have another one of your music selections. What have you chosen for us this time? I'd like to choose Johnny Clegg and The Crossing. It's also one of my favorite songs um, from way back. That's another song that I've used in Moy Street Moves, a play of mine. Uh, in fact, when I was in uh, Washington, D.C., doing uh, Moist Street Moves with a company there, I used this to end off the play. And the uh, artistic director of the theater loved the, loved the music so much that she became a huge Johnny Clegg fan and even traveled to South Africa to watch him, to watch him sing. So, and, and Johnny Clegg, I mean, we, we go back such a long time. And... Uh, 
Um, I think it's a beautiful song.
Johnny Clegg there, and that was called The Crossing. Another person we've lost, tragically, haven't we, Johnny yes. Clegg? Yes. And another choice of my guest, Paul Slablepsy, chatting to me here on People of Note on Fine Music Radio. You know, Paul, we've spoken a lot about what you've done, but I can't think, I'm trying to think, you do act in other plays, don't you? You don't just act or direct your own plays. I mean, I know you've told me about film and stuff like that, but you... I think you even did Shakespeare. Oh yes, yes, ago. yes. I mean, I've, I've, I mean, I worked with Dieter Reibler many years ago. I played Caspar. I've done Romeo and Juliet. I've played Tybalt. I've played Mercutio. Um, yeah, I've. I've um, what happens when you become a playwright, or and you act in your own plays? A lot of people think, oh, that's what he does now. Mm. You know, what's mm. the point of asking him to be in anything because he does his own. Plays, but I mean, I I I, I love doing uh, working for other people and um, other directors, mm-hmm. and and doing. I love Shakespeare as well, you know. And uh, but in 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 recent years, I've done more and more of my own stuff. I right. mean, I, I keep writing yeah. and uh, writing for television, writing uh, for for film as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just had to keep going. It's 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 just keeping it's putting bread. But it's it, yes, bread on the table. Bread also, it's a, a labour of love, and, isn't and it? And kids through school, university. Oh, well, you know, you yes. Carol and I have managed to get three children through university. So, you wow. know, and that's been in my profession, being a freelance uh, actor. Uh, but Carol's an artist now as well. She's a sculptor. Mm-hmm. Um, she's called My Hairs and Graces. H A R E S, my hairs and graces, and she makes sculptures of pangolins and hares and cats and dogs, and so she's kept us going. Actually, uh, when mm-hmm. when times have been tough, mm-hmm. like especially over COVID. Oh it's yes, been gosh. a huge struggle. I mean, I didn't work for two and a half years. Yeah, I we, don't know how your actors made oh, it, and I mean, some I've of the musicians as well. So many sob stories from oh, friends absolutely. of mine. I mean, I've sold my cars. I don't have a car now. Well, we've got one car we share, but I used to have my own car and being able to get around and do radio spots and stuff like that. But um, all that's kind of finished, you know. Now. Oh dear. And on a brighter note, now with this play that has been such a success, and it's sure it's going to be a success here in Cape Town at that lovely theatre there on the seashore. What do you have any other plans that you can tell us about? Or are they all secret? What? No, no, no secret. I keep on telling stories. I mean, I've got so many stories, and they just keep coming mm-hmm. uh, like a flood. And I love hearing stories, picking up stories, creating new stories. So I work a lot in film. I've got a few film projects, and I'm working with a particular company. Um, and there's a film that's sort of in the pipeline. Um, and also, I'm probably going to work on my memoirs. Uh, oh, yes, uh, you must. You know, I tell stories of what the things that Billy and I have done mm. in London and all over the place, Sweden and uh, and, um, and and and, what and would locally. You, what would you call your autobiography? That's what I'd like to know. <laughs> I wonder if I should give the title away. Uh, no, I, no, I've, I, I've got a very good title, but I'm very afraid of of, of giving it to you now. No, don't. Okay, because you That's know how. Uh, so remember, there was some actress who wrote, who wrote a book called um, No No Turn Unstoned. That's right. Come and watch your name was No Turn Unstoned. Wow, what a wonderful name that was. And I think I've got a great name for my book. And I think people straight away will go, hey, that's amazing. But it's like Peter Dirk, you know the story Peter Dirk Ace about Oss, a fast about Ace. Yes. He was given that in a pub somewhere. 
Some drunk guy said to him in a next way you must call it fast about ace. And that's what he did. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Ah. So that wasn't Peter's invention. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so titles are stolen. Ideas are stolen. Yes, you know, Often. And so well. I keep, I keep. Athol Fugard always says, when you're writing a play, uh, don't tell the story until it's finished. Because then the, the, the desire to tell it actually goes away as well. Because once you've told it, you know, you've told mm -hmm. it. So it's a very good thing to remember. And I, I say to writers, you know, if you're writing something, you write it yourself. Finish the whole thing and then bring and it. Then tell Don't the story. ask me to help you to get this thing along. Oh, okay. Tell the story that's in your head. Mm -hmm. yeah. Gosh, Paul, some good advice there for mm -hmm. young aspirant writers out there. Yes. So... We have to end now, unfortunately. Time has run out. But it's been great to talk to you and a bit of um, nostalgia, really, yes. uh, chatting to you. And then just to remind our listeners that your play, Fordsburg's Finest, has just opened at the Theatre on the Bay, Peter Turin's Theatre on the Bay. It runs to the 10th of September. And now your last piece of music is called Weeping. And I'm choosing a whole lot of old... Oh, Songs that are long gone now, really. This also features in Fordsburg's Finest, as you'll hear when you come and see it. It's an important song, and it, and it deals with the time in South Africa that has passed, but it's a kind of an anthem, mm -hmm. an anthem to that moment. And that's what the song is. Um, Paul Slablepsy, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. <laughs>
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. How's it? I'm Paul Slobolepsi. So glad to be bringing my heartwarming play, Fordsburg's Finest, to Peter Turin's Theatre on the Bay from the 19th of August to the 10th of September. Directed by Bobby Heaney and starring Chi Mende and yours truly, this play promises to be a magical evening at the theatre. Don't miss Fordsburg's Finest from the 19th of August to the 10th of September. Book now, only at Theatre on the Bay. FMR.